welcome to the Just Hands Poker Podcast. And today we actually have our first special guest. We have my former online coach, Peter Clark. Uh, how are you doing, Peter? Yeah, pretty well. Thanks, Zach. How's it going? Good. So today I think we're going to discuss a preflop spot. And I, I think it'll be interesting, Peter, with, you, with your background here, because this is a spot that I think online is incredibly, incredibly clear. And then live is kind of difficult and muddy and the opposite thing to do might be the most prudent decision live versus online. Cool. Uh, yeah. So Jack, we also, we also have Jack on here. So hello. give listeners a hello. <laughs> hey, Zach. hey Jack. Jack and Zach, it's like kind of confusing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. We've played a lot of poker together. We call in together and it's like, yeah, we'd, we'd like to be on the list. Uh, what are your names? Jack and Zach and... There's usually usually a chuckle or two. <laughs> Sound like a comedy duo of some sort. When I was actually playing in Scopes in America, I, my name was always Carrot Man. My whole like my name is characters online. So out the list you know, for like the table, they'd be like you know Bob, CJ, AJ, SM, Carrot Man, one two eleven. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so so let me get into it. So uh, this was a session at Maryland Live. I think you know at least two earlier podcast episodes. Uh, we're during my like three day um, session at Maryland that I that I did in December, and this was a pre flop spot that I thought was kind of kind of interesting and variation of this have come up a decent amount in the past for me. So I, I wanted to discuss it with you guys. So I was playing fairly tight for the first half an hour of play, and then I uh, started asking to do a round of straddles. Because the table was just very dead, and uh, Peter, I'm, 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 I mean, I know you used to play a lot of live, but just for, just to kind of reiterate, like for some reason, when you do a round of straddles, people just make the craziest adjustments and start playing really, really strangely, and often like a lot more loose and aggressive preflop. Yep. So it's a really great thing to do, uh, you know, assuming you can get the whole table to agree to it, and it also, especially if you have like a tight image at that point you know, helps maybe loosen up your image without, you know, sacrificing any EV. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think I, I maybe even literally folded every single hand in that first 30 minutes. So I don't know how tight my image is going to be given just the, the way I look and talk with people, but, you know, it's certainly on the tighter side. But then after I proposed a round of straddles, I think I raised three out of, like, the first four or five straddled hands. And the first time, it's like I had two big cards, and the other two times, I, I had I had decent cards, and I was kind of just running hot. And, and every time, uh, everyone folded, or and those who limped uh, or called the straddle folded. Uh, so now I sit out for two hands. So it's you know since the straddles have started, uh, me being the first straddle and raising my first straddle, I've you know played three out of those first five or six hands, and now I'm in the hijack with pocket tens. And we have two limps to me. And the main villain in this hand is in, like, under the gun plus two, middle position one. He is a dealer at a local casino about an hour away. Definitely strikes me as kind of like a stereotypical Asian gambler type. He's in his mid-50s. He's from Vietnam. Uh, He has a lot of kind of what I would describe as, like, lucky charm-esque things that he uh, is, like, touching with his hands and, like, 
different card protectors and things he puts on the table uh, and has been talking a lot, even in the short time I've been playing with him, about you know his recent string of bad luck uh, and how he's trying to turn that around right now. <laughs> uh, he has about 650 behind. I have him, I think, slightly covered at this point. And uh, he limp re-raises to 200. And But before I ask your, your opinion on, on what to do next, also notable, he definitely talks himself up as kind of an action player and has been fairly loose and passive pre-flop, but hasn't done anything out of line post-flop uh, whatsoever. So he might kind of be the type of player that, like, likes action, likes to generate action, but doesn't, you know, want to sacrifice any perceived EV to do so, besides, you know, a lot of loose and weak limps. So that's all the information I have about the player. You know, we're about 40, 40-ish minutes, 45 minutes into the session. It's, I believe it's like a Thursday night around 9 p.m. Uh, limp, limp, so 10 and 10 at a 2-5 game. I make it 50. Uh, he limp raises at 200. What are your thoughts on what, on what I'm doing here? Mm-hmm. Go first. Uh, just two quick points of clarification. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have 650 behind, or he has 650 behind. Yeah, I think I have like 700 behind or something. Okay, cool. And also, you say he's been, he calls himself an action player, but he's been mostly loose passive pre-flop and then not out of line post-flop. Yeah. So his, you haven't really seen him acting to his own self-description at this point. No, and, and my guess is based on the little that I've seen, it's kind of that whole thing of just him like, of being like, oh, action, I love action, I like to play crazy, but he, he doesn't. And like does that whole thing of trying to play off his you know, perceived image being an older Asian man. And I'm sure both of you have seen that a lot. Yeah. That type of, you know, mild angle shoot. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, when I see this line, like, from a, as an online player, I mean, we deal a lot with population reads. And if we don't know anything about the player, um, we'll just talk about, like, what the line means from the population. Like, you have, like, what appear to be two conflicting, but maybe not so conflicting bits of info here, like, that he talks up, like, a loose, aggressive crazy game but doesn't seem to play that way I'd say like 9 times out of 10 using population reads of people who fit that that description they're not actually that loose they're just trying to generate action they're trying to you know it's part of their game plan to have the table persona that encourages action when in fact they don't tend to get out of line too much at all for me like the limp re-raise live is just super strong most of the time unless it clearly comes from a very like loose aggressive splashy someone we'd describe as an aggro fish, I suppose, in the online world <laughs> from that kind of player, then for me, like, it's typically a range like queens plus ace king with a bit more weight towards king king plus. Um, <laughs> so for me, right off the bat, unless you guys know something, I guess, about about the population live that I don't, I don't see a reason to put him... I, okay, I guess the only reason we have, really, to suspect that he could be, like, a really good empirical reason to suspect he could be out of line here would be Hero's image and the fact that Hero's gone a bit berserk perceived um, since the straddle has come into play and how he's like uh, that he could be reacting to that so I guess this boils down to the chances of this player getting out of line based on Hero's recent image but if we don't have a reason for that to think that he's really out of line I think this is just a fold but otherwise it could be if we do have a reason to think that he's possibly getting really out of line here 
then you've got to remember that his range combinatorially is weighted towards not having a big hand that crushes tents. That's just naturally the weighting of hands in the limit hold'em. So of all the hands that he limps, there could be loads of underpairs in there. So if we have any suspicion at all that he could be doing that, I think this quickly becomes a shove. Um, and it's a shove or fold kind of spot, I would imagine. Would you guys agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's a shove or fold. And uh, the... Yeah, I think you, you put it very nicely in terms of like, you know, as a standard play, this is a fold. And the only the only con- kind of confounding factor in that would be the fact that, you know, I've just like raised over 50% of hands since the straddle has started. And him, and I forgot to mention this, him and like two other players kind of in, in the other corner of the table have just been talking about how crazy I'm playing and how much of a maniac I've been playing. Of course, in a whispered in a whispered way that they think I can't really hear or they don't care, I don't know. Sorry, uh, one of those players, was he involved in that conversation? Yeah, it was like him him and two other players and oh. af- after I raised the straddle, yeah, this this I think it weights it a little more likely that he could potentially be, be out of line in this spot. So I, uh, more specifically, it's after I raised the straddle, like, oh my god, like, you know, he was tricking us now and now he's, you know, it's out of the bag and then after I raise the next two hands, there's like a big comment after each raise, and now that I raise the fourth hand basically in a row, you know, there's comments abound at the table, including, okay, including from him. Okay, I've got a few points here then in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it way more likely that he is actually like retaliating in some way, like the fact that you've heard these comments. Um, and so, okay, two things here. Like one, like I said before, his combinatorially, like his range is just weighted away from having a hand that crushes tens. There only are twenty-four combos in the deck that crush tens, jacks plus, right? Mm-hmm. So for him to a have those hands relative to all the other hands he could be splashing about with or reacting with, they're quite unlikely. And b, he's going to actually raise jack jack plus a higher percentage of the time than he's going to raise a hand like pocket fives if he's like the average life player. Yeah. So not all these hands more abundant per se. But they're more abundant relative to the line that he's taken before your isolation rates. So mm-hmm. his range naturally, in the first place, just starts off weighted a lot more towards non-jack-jack plus. If he has ace-king or whatever, that's not really a big deal. It's like a neutral factor. You're a slight favorite against that. That's not really a problem. It's just a problem how often he has jack-jack plus relative to the hands you do really well against. So, I mean, I think that... And look at the math here, right? To shove here... Um, you don't need very much fold equity because when he does call it off, for one, he could even call off hands that you crush, like pocket nines or something that he's just like got himself pot committed with. Um, and for two, when he does fold, he's made it 200. You're shoving for like 450 more. Your price here is very good. You only need, you need less than 50%. You have crunch numbers. I'm just going to spot before, but you need less than 50% fold equity here by a mile. Um, you only need like a tiny amount of folds here, maybe even no folds if he's actually getting himself pot committed with lower pairs. So given that info, I'm, like, really happy shoving, I think, in this spot. Cool. cool. Was the guy, the guy who raised the 200, was he the first limper or the second limper? He was the second limper, which is actually kind of pretty clutch. I think that actually makes it more of a call. If he's the, a call, sorry, a shove. If he's the second limper, yeah, it does. I, yeah. I forgot to mention that, yeah. It's less likely he's limping a premium. Mm-hmm. I mean, after hearing that, and with my own thoughts, I totally agree. I think another thing to consider is that, so how long have you been at this table? Like uh, 45 minutes? Yeah, no, no more. So, you know, we've sort of labeled this player as, you know, all talk. But we, we, we can't really know that. He could 
be having sort of a run of cards that leads to passive play, and he is more likely to retaliate or even play aggressively pre-flop without you know someone like you in the hand uh, naturally. So I think that if we're you know going with our read that he's a very passive player less strongly, then I also agree that you can feel good about a shove here. You know, so for the reasons that Peter laid out, and that I think that we may have somewhat miscast this player, yeah, I definitely would think a shove is your best line. Yeah, should be profitable. Another thing to consider is that this guy's superstitious. Like, he's got all his lucky charm-esque things. I think he described them as a like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Maybe there's a better word for that, but... Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> this ridiculous character who, like, when he picks up, like, pocket threes... He has a certain cat that he places on the table that correlates to pocket. <laughs> right. Is he lines. rubbing? <laughs> is he rubbing any of the charms? Yeah, I, I, I was I was thinking too much in my own world to, to be aware of that. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for the, the rub of the charms next time. Sorry. So the point here um, is that if he's this kind of player who has the different cats for the different hole cards, right? That's a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point. Then it's likely that he has thoughts that other less superstitious players don't have. For example, I haven't won with pocket sevens for some time. This is now the time for pocket seven. <laughs> or pocket fours are a hand that I once won a really big pot with, and this online kid yeah. is amazing me by raising, therefore, let's re-raise. There's just so many thought patterns that could correlate to him doing this, and the, the, combina- the combinatrix of him having jacks plus or just so slim anyway that this has to be a shove. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with all of that. And I think it's also really good that you highlighted that when you're dealing with a more superstitious player, they can have a lot of things that are just completely illogical but very firm, you know? Yeah. Like they know what they're going to do and it's not based on any type of range or, you know, hand value. It's just really based on feeling. And yeah. so I'm going to reveal the results now and, and that's that's what happened here. So he had pocket queens and folded them face up because he just knew he wasn't going to win. Oh wow! <laughs> and gave oh, a whole man. and gave a whole speech yeah, about exactly. how he just knew that you know I had to have it this time and that you know this wasn't the time he was going to risk it all. Did you show the tens? <laughs> of course, I showed the tens. <laughs> yeah. So I wow. I thought that was an interesting hand to talk about just because. When I kind of just thought about it a little bit after the fact, I, I still just like given the metagame stuff and kind of how ridiculous my image looked at the time, a shove can't be too bad. Um, it's just one of those things where in, in retrospect, after he did that, and then after playing with him for another four hours, he was, you know, revealed himself to be the biggest weak tight knit, you know, ever. So it's, it's something that, you know, five hours later, it's actually a, a fold that I feel pretty good about. But yeah, I think... Talking, talking through with you guys now, it makes it pretty clear. Like with the information I had available, doing anything over but shoving is uh, is is pretty pretty bad. Yeah, you have to look at these spots from point of decision as well. You can't like some of my students will make a mistake. Like they'll argue, oh well, I should have folded this hand, and I'll say why, and they'll say well because he turned out to be the biggest weak tight net ever. It's like well, if you try and make decisions based on what you will know in the future, it probably <laughs> won't very well in the present. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think live the, the only reason I, I like consider them during thought exercises is more of like, okay, could I have been more aware of these tendencies in the first forty five minutes? Was there something that I was missing because it was so obvious to me later? But, you know, in retrospect, no. But I think it's important to sometimes push yourself there just because of, you know, how, you know, exploitable people in a in a live poker setting can be. Uh, and this is actually a nice transition, something 
we had we talked mainly about that on Peter's podcast. Uh, so Peter, if you want to talk a little bit about the podcast, your podcast, your coaching, and everything. Yeah, sure. So my podcast, we just me and Zach actually just made an episode about like the difference between online and live. It's quite interesting to hear. And the perspective of guys like Zach and Jack, where it's so much like attention to live detail and all these little things, and then the more kind of strategic, foundational game theory approach that is required at the higher and even the some of the lower online games these days. So we did a podcast on that on my podcast station, which is Carrot Poker, the Carrot Poker podcast. Um, you can find that on iTunes. You can find that on YouTube. Um, it's in a few places. Um, just look it up. And the podcast is generally, it has a lot of different formats. It's a very flexible podcast. Like, I guess the podcast you guys do is more streamlined. It's more like you found a, a, a vacant slot in the pod, poker podcast world where no one was really covering live hands in this much depth, and you filled that awesomely. My podcast jumps about a lot more. It goes to a lot of different areas. So right now I'm writing a poker book on online No Limit Hold'em 6 Max, which is the game I, I've taught for years. Um, and... I'm doing like an overview of the book right now in the podcast and talking about some of the technical areas of the book. I'm also doing things like interviews with students where they ask me questions as an experienced professional poker player and coach. I answer them. Um, or we just talk about like how I'm, the work I'm doing with various students and stuff like that. So um, I've got a website, which is carrotcorner.com. And my email is admin at carrotcorner.com. If anyone is looking for a coach for, I mean, I coach live as well, but I, I know these guys do, do also, and my main speciality is online, so that would be my main, if you're looking for an online poker coach, um, or you want to check out my student community, anyone who buys coaching with me, I give them access to my student community, which has about 57 people in it, about 57, that's kind of precise. you remember my student group, Zach, at Carrot Corner? Do I remember? I'm, st- I'm still a member. I, I browse on Google sometimes. When... Yeah, one of 57. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So that's it, guys. That's like my podcast. Check it out um, and get in touch with me at admin, carrotcorner.com. If you want to appear on my podcast, have any suggestions or interested in coaching, just get in touch. I'd love to hear from, from all you live players as well. Well, thank you, Peter, for appearing on the podcast. Thank you for having me on yours. Yeah, and uh, thank you to all the listeners uh, for tuning in for this week's special episode. Uh, you know, write us uh, about what you think about this kind of format that had a little more kind of interview aspect to it than just kind of the traditional just analyze the hand. Uh, Jack and I were thinking about potentially having other special guests and other grinders on to discuss their hands and let us know what you think about that. Later today or tomorrow, there'll be a post um, with the what my kind of standard ranges are at 1, 2, and 1, 3, uh, live no limit, what I'm opening, what I'm open limping, what I'm over limping, what I'm calling, and we'd love to hear uh, your opinions on that and to join the discussion on uh, justhandspoker.com. All right. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.